The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, May the 3rd. You're very welcome to the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. We'll be today Harry McGee and Fia Kelly from our political staff. And later on, we will be considering, among other things, Ireland's possible Brexit apocalypse, the power of dull prayer and the never-ending existentialist drama we call Waiting for Enda. Remember, you can find us on irishtimes.com slash podcasts or subscribe via iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And if you're already a subscriber, we really are extremely grateful if you take a moment to share or to recommend the podcast. But first, First of all, I have before me a very sternly worded editorial in this morning's Irish Times about our current politics, and I quote, When it comes to the day-to-day proceedings of Parliament, the record has been abysmal, with very little of substance being enacted. All of the parties and individuals in the Dáil must take a share of the responsibility for this state of affairs. That's a subject which we've covered a little bit in this podcast over the over the last few months anyway. But Harry, one of the things that strikes me about that is, if there is so little politics and so little to cover, what are you people doing? doing all the time. And given the pressures that there are on newspapers these days, is this a justifiable use of resources? Should we maybe not reallocate you to things that obviously are of more interest to our readers, like rugby coverage or inter- interior decoration? Well, Philip Goyle baiting the bejesus out of each other over the leadership contest is always good sport <laughs> for both rugby and GAA followers. A <laughs> um, bit of cricket as well. I mean, it's uh, that's the, the editorial is a little bit harsh this morning. I mean, they, they have to, we have to recognise the realities of the doll arithmetic, and the doll arithmetic is very complicated. You have a majority, you have a, uh, the biggest party in government has 50 seats. That's 28 seats short of majority. It has the support of eight others, uh, all of, all of them from an independent hue, and uh, then must rely on the biggest opposition party uh, to get it over the line on important pieces of legislation. And there are two things that strike me in relation to that. The first thing is that any piece of legislation that's not going to be a crowd pleaser, any piece of legislation that's going to be harsh or that's going to be radical or that's going to propose big changes is inevitably going to get watered down in the process because they don't have the majority to carry the day. And secondly, that that, that uh, every piece of legislation before it even gets off the mark uh, has to go through pre-legislative scrutiny now. And this is the, the, the new system, uh, whereas uh, the government used to present a bill, it was debated, it went through the, the various stages, committee stage would come at third or fourth stage of the process where they'd scrutinise the bill line by line. But that now happens right at the beginning of the process. So the actual process itself takes much longer and involves uh, committees being actively involved with every piece of legislation. Which in uh, theory is a good thing. 
in theory, it's it's a good thing. It's, you know, but, it's a parliament at work doing what it's supposed it, to be doing. But it means very few pieces of legislation uh, get through. And just before, just uh, on a on a final point, I mean, there are lots of opposition bills. Not just the government that's presenting bills now; it's the opposition that is also presenting uh, bills. But the difficulty uh, they have is they have no problem presenting them in the first instance, uh, but very few of them are getting beyond second stage uh, because the opposition parties, for one reason or, an, or another, and government parties are not allotting enough time uh, for them to be debated and scrutinised. So there, there is a log jam of legislation, but I think to, to, to ascribe it all to the government, I think, would be misbegotten. So what's the solution? I think that there are too many private members' motions every week. Uh, I think they have three or four and they're unwieldy. Uh, I think that they have to go back to a system where the Doyle and committees are sitting simultaneously. What's happening at the moment is that the Doyle is sitting later each day to allow the committees meet in morning uh, in the morning time. But that means that um, the, the business of the Doyle doesn't proceed as quickly as, as it should uh, because the Doyle isn't sitting for, for the, the hours that it was in the last session. So they have to find some kind of mechanism whereby they can extend the sitting hours of the Doyle to allow more legislation our, to go through. I think our, our editorial today sort of points the figure, I think, largely at um, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil as the mm. two largest parties in, in, in the Oireachtas and says that they have a, a sort of responsibility between the two of them to sort out some of the, some of these processes which Harry has described there. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough point. I do pick up on what Harry said, though, about the sheer volume of bills and legislation going through the doll, going through the initial stages of the legislative pro- process and then getting bogged down in committee and, and later stages. I think the problem with that is, and our editorial touches on it in some way today, I think it, it, it quotes Regina Doherty, the chief whip, saying, you know, that the opposition have a responsibility as well because they've asked for more parliamentary oversight, a greater role for parliament, but a lot of the bills that are coming through are just not... Uh, they're not drafted properly, they're not legally sound, they're basically a waste of time, a lot of them. And we still, I don't think, have a fully staffed Oireachtas Legal Advisory Office that can take a bill and go, OK, your bill here is fine, but you need to fine-tune it in this, this and this way to get it through to make it actually safe. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that end of things to make sure the standard of bill and legislation from the opposition, because the government, let's face it, have the apparatus of the government behind them, they can go to the AG and say, is this OK?, that that needs to improve substantially in order to make sure that the quality of the legislation coming before the House is of a sufficient nature. And I do think as well that Harry raises a very good point about the Dáil sitting later and more effective use of parliamentary and Dáil time. We've often heard it in the past, oh, we should have a committee week. Well, we should. Why don't we? Because the Mm. Dáil a lot of times is having statements on matters of the day, you know, kind of shouting matches as we saw last night as to what way a debate on the Dáil prayers should be scheduled. A lot of it's time-wasting. So I think one way out of it would be to go, look, and the nature of the way the Dáil is at the moment, a lot of the votes are tight because we're in a minority government situation, so everybody is needed in the chamber. So they're getting dragged out of committee rooms and they're not, their attention is not in the committees where it needs to be. So perhaps there's an argument for saying it's been mentioned before but it's never been enacted upon. Let's have a committee week every month where everybody's Attention with, with, with no doll sitting. Yeah, and, and uh, as well, I mean, one of the difficulties is that the government is constrained because it knows that it's not going to be able to bring forward any really substantial piece of legislation because of the way in which things are configured. It's just going to be too complicated uh, to get it through the process and it's going to be too time-consuming. So uh, this 
government really has been a kind of almost like a, you know, when a premiership team sheds its manager and then a caretaker manager comes in. It's been a caretaker government that has done very little in comparison to the governments that we had previously who did an awful lot. And maybe... Did they do an awful lot? Because I don't remember people saying at the time that they were doing an awful lot. Well, I mean, they, they, they did an awful lot. They, 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 they did more. They had a larger legislature. But they brought in some very punitive yeah. legislation. They had and a dull majority, which basically yeah. meant they could... Their writ ran. The compromises in previous yeah. governments were reached at the cabinet table between the coalition yeah. partners, and then the doll basically that, gave a sense of that. that. You're saying then was a quicker or more efficient process? Was it, it was more efficient. Whether, doors, whether, it, whether, whether it was the correct process, because the argument always was, particularly in the last all of an, of an overbearing government with an overlarge majority forcing the doll to accept measures without due consideration, a la water charges, which were guillotined before mm. the Christmas break, but we've possibly gone overcorrected it now yeah. I mean if you look at water charges it's a very good example you have a government which was arrogant and just pushed water charges through without sufficient debate but I think the pendulum might have sw- swung completely the other way uh, in this instance that we have a water charges regime now which is frankly a, a joke mm. uh, 8% of consumers will mm. pay for water and the sanction the, 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 the method of sanction uh, is ludicrous mm. in my opinion and the and really interesting process now is going to be this committee on uh, the 8th amendment and what to do with the 8th because you see Mary Minnan has a piece in the, in the newspaper today yes. about it and, and among other things she points out and maybe this relates to your previous point about Fine Gael backbenchers that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil mm. are not you know overburdened with volunteers for this particular well, the reason topic. is because it's a controversial topic. It will be very motive. It will t- take up a lot of time. And the, it, again, this is going to be a really curious committee in how it works because this is almost parliamentary independence, like at its nth degree. Because both the big parties have released the whip for this particular subject, which means that there's no whip applying in this committee. Harry spoke about the water charges committee. At least we had a clear breakdown of you know Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. There'd be block voting. That, is, that isn't going to happen in this committee and it's going to be really What's interesting. What's Sinn Féin's policy? Is it allowing a free vote? It hasn't decided its policy yet no, because... Sinn Féin won't allow a free vote. It didn't allow a free vote for the protection of life during pregnancy mm. bill and the, the party has not had a uh, tradition of, of allowing free votes. So, yeah, and actually, if it were to allow a free vote, Fiuk is quite right, it would have to be approved by its Ordesh. Uh, so uh, they had, they had difficulties, and, 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 and as we know, with, with 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 that bill, you know, there were divisions with 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 Patrick Tobin and so mm. on. I mean, we know there's a certain there's a block, uh, you know, pro repeal the eighth block among mm. the Solidarity PBP, and we mm. know where certain other independents who we gather maybe there will stand. But within the two large. Mm. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil parliamentary parties first of all were kind of unsure as to where those well, know, TDs would stand. We know more in Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil would probably be a majority of Fianna Fáil TDs would be a conservative and will we'll go along I think that the way kind of I anti-abortion line uh, with, the, with, with a couple of exceptions. Yeah. I think the way they've, they've nominated their choices that the committee have been with a nod to both Mm. camps within their party so Billy Gallagher is their health spokesman he will be the lead person on this for the party he actually has quite a liberal view within Fianna Fáil he made quite a powerful speech I think among the private members bill in the last all about loosening the abortion regime in Ireland but then against that there are members on the committee who will be from as Harry says the conservative wing of the party So let me ask you about the politics of this Harry the um, the Citizens Assembly we were just debating it here last week with two prominent members of the pro-life campaign or at least um, Beto O'Brien represented the Iona Institute which is very strongly, very strongly pro-life, um, and Cora Sherlock also. And we've previously had, you know, the likes of Colm O'Gorman and and Alva Smith in, and 
we are now we've got we've gone through the citizens assembly point it has delivered a result which most people regard as being surprisingly liberal and now this process begins in the Oireachtas, which most people, again, uh, regard as being less liberal in terms of the composition of views it represents than, than the Citizens' Assembly ended up being. Yeah, so what's going to happen now is that the Citizens' Assembly will uh, publish a formal report. I think that's going to be published by um, Ms Justice Lefoy in June. Then the committee will be put together and the committee will convene in autumn. It will be comprised of... 23 members, 16 members of the Oireachtas and or is it 20 members it's of 20, 20 members of the Dáil and then Shannon, sorry, will, will provide was meant to provide four but looks like it's going to provide seven now, one from each of the groups. So they will be asked to examine the report uh, to study it, to look at its recommendations and then come up with recommendations of their own uh, with a view to uh, a uh, wording for a constitutional uh, amendment if necessary and also for any accompanying uh, legislation and then the matter will be brought before the Dáil and then the wider Dáil you, you'll have this will be the, the, the third st- stage of the process um, I, I think the, the third stage of the Dáil you, you talked about the, the, the uh, recommendations of citizens of being quite liberal I think at that third stage I think you will see a, a, a significant pairing back of the recommendations there are some recommendations that just on the face of it, look like they will not be okay. Well, I'm mean, trying to prejudge this too much because I think that it's fair to say that that, that that is impossible. There are there are two elements to this really. There's the question of what to do about the constitution, and there's the question of what legislate if there if if changes mm-hmm. if it's agreed that some change is necessary, which that which seems likely. Uh, and then there is the what legislative framework will be put in place, and the two sort of go together in that it's unlikely, it's very hard to imagine that a that a constitutional change won't be put to the people without a clear picture of the of the legislation that will follow immediately, um, presumably. So let's take the first one first, because the one way in which the Citizens' Assembly surprised people was that it recommended a replace uh, the Eighth Amendment in a way that would be, as the liberal side of this debate would say, a more liberal version than just a simple repeal, yep. repealing of the Eighth Amendment. Yeah, In other words, specifically empowering the Oireachtas to, to make whatever legislative provision it wanted. Do, how do you think that part, before we, before we mention the legislation, how do you think the, the constitutional part is likely to play out? Uh, those, who are, were appe- who, those who are campaigning for repealing the Eighth have, have were taken a little bit aback by that and some of them think that that might actually work as a solution and I think it has made them revise the, the, the way that they've been thinking about it. I think those who might uh, be more conservative in terms of outlook would be slightly concerned uh, that the legislar- legislature might be given untrammeled powers in terms of future legislation uh, and that the con- they, they might sense that the constitution and the, the provision that that's placed in the constitution mightn't protect them sufficiently or might not be robust enough in terms of its language uh, to, to protect them sufficiently. So say if there was a change and it said we leave it up to the legislature to, to, to legislate uh, for what is permissible and what is not in relation to or even abortion. Or the point, it says that nothing else in the constitution mm. can prevent it. I mean, that's really mm. the point yeah. of, of having the replace rather than appeal. Yeah. Nothing I, can I think that, 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 will create, that, that will cause difficulties to some of the more mm. conservative does, members does, of Parliament. Does that then mean, Fiac, as was suggested, I think, by Breda O'Brien in our podcast last week, that this, as she saw it, extremely far-out liberal proposal is a sort of a, a, was, might have been seen by some people in the in the citizens' assembly. She suggested as a as a starting negotiating position, which would allow a more liberal outcome that might previously have been envisaged by by this Oireachtas process. You know, so in other words, a repealing of the eighth is actually less uh, less liberal than replace the eighth on that proposal. 
Uh, I'm not quite sure about that. I think that what they arrived at was quite a sensible proposition saying, look, you know, it's up to you guys to decide what you want to do with this this approach. It has always been up to the dollar. It was a matter of fact. It was a matter of statement. But I I don't buy that argument. I always think that the, that the Assembly was always going to come up with something that would allow the legislature to have some say in what was going to be put to the people. So I think there was perhaps too easy an option to think that the Citizens' Assembly was going to come up with a formula of words that could then be transposed directly into a referendum question or a legislative, sure. legislative uh, basis for a referendum. But I think what they did, I don't really accept that argument. I think. Well, I suppose the, the bottom line is, th- th- this is on foot of a, of a long-standing campaign over the last few years to repeal the Eighth Amendment. What are the chances that this process, the committee and then the deliberations in the Dáil will arrive at that conclusion of repealing the Eighth Amendment as opposed to doing nothing or perhaps an amendment which still placed strictures on access to abortion in Ireland? That that is the more likely scenario, an an amendment that still places strictures upon it. I I don't think you're going to have a question put to the people that advocates a full repeal of the Eighth Amendment. There will be a replacement um, kind of... Stipulation in the Constitution with some very defined uh, kind of strictures or uh, restrictions, but I, perhaps that could be common legislation. And I think it's an interesting point raised by colleagues in recent days um, that if the suggestion of the legislature having a say over this, if the Citizens' Assembly suggestion was put into the Constitution, then it would be a recurring question that it's up to the, the Oireachtas can change its will as it pleases, as it won't. Uh, different dolls may have different opinions on it whereas if you have a question that's put and saying this is going to be replaced by this it would settle the matter for a period of time The difficulty there of course is that we know Harry with the Eighth Amendment and this is an argument which is made primarily of course by the repeal of the Eighth Side but just just to mention it is is the idea that dealing with this sort of um, ethically complex medical scientific issues trying to put any kind of wording into a constitution is just a recipe for disaster it's difficult because every time you, you define something you find a case that's going to defy mm. what you have defined you know they, they say that um, hard cases make for bad law but I mean in, in moral cases like this or ethical uh, cases you, you always find something terrible that happens and it's a very it's a very rare occurrence but when the law doesn't capture it that creates a difficulty and even 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 a difficulty for people who agree with the law and that's true even more in space that's true even more of of a constitutional provision as opposed to yeah a, i mean you know, you see, see, so, so the, the the framing and the drafting of it is going to be hmm. very complicated and very prob- problematic and it's it's but the, the the difficulty is that there is there there if you look at the composition of the doyle uh, at present and if you look at the opinion polls there there's there's certainly a a clear majority who believe that there should be liberalisation, but I don't think they're in favour of, of full liberalisation in terms of um, um, abortion being allowed no, for, but does that for, not, for social purposes. Does that not peace. then come to the second point, which is having, we've just discussed the mm. constitutional point, does that let then come to the legislative mm. point, which is where those sort of provisions should, you know, should be put in place, and you know, whatever they may be, that's where those strictures should be. It, it it is, but um, as Fiek was saying there, that you'll have different dolls with different compositions and different viewpoints. I think that people who would be campaigning against an over-liberalisation of the law uh, would be looking for constitutional guarantees to, to ensure mm. that um, that if the um, laws are to be 
expanded that 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 limited spot to those so yeah, expansions. Because you and Harry are right about that, and if that were to be the outcome, mm-hmm. I could definitely see a situation in which this uh, gets rejected by the electorate because it could possibly. be rejected by both sides. Yeah, there is a possibility that I think the 2002 uh, amendment or yeah. referendum was lost on that base that both sides. Uh, rejected it but I, I do think there is a fine balance and like we're still at a fairly early, early stage of this process like the Citizens Assembly came to the conclusions it did you know it surprised a lot of people but it was always going to come to the Oireachtas and the Dáil to decide this and I think what they will arrive at is going to have to be strike that very careful balance and I think what Harry was saying about the Dáil being the primary stage, I think the, the committee itself is going to be very important because mm. they will have to have a basis for the Dáil to decide something. So they will have to present something to the Dáil that, that is acceptable. And we just don't know. Like I was even, I was working the Sunday, the Citizen Assembly reached its conclusions and my immediate reaction was to ring a couple of TDs in both the larger parties. And they all felt that whatever happened, it was going to fail that the referendum would fail no matter what was put to the people. Right, so, so we can't second guess too much about what's, what, what's going to happen there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Harry McGee's scorecard for the government after a year in office, plus the scenarios for Enda's ultimate departure and Brexit apocalypse and prayer. I just want to take one minute to tell you about an upcoming public event in association with the Irish Times because later this month we're going to bring politicians and business leaders together with some of our own best journalists to discuss the opportunities and uncertainties facing Ireland in this time of political and economic turmoil. The Irish Times Economic Summit, because that's what it's called, will take place on May the 30th in the Shelburne Hotel in Dublin. So buy your tickets now at irishtimes.com slash economic summit. That's irishtimes.com slash economic summit and terms and conditions apply. And you're welcome back. Harry and Fiek are still with me. Um, you mentioned earlier on, um, Fiek, this, this debate last night about uh, a prayer in the Dáil. I was kind of interested by it. I actually went to the trouble of doing some work, rarely enough, um, this morning, and I was looking at... There, are, there is no shortage of parliaments around the world who have some form of you know prayer or invocation of, of a deity uh, at the opening of proceedings. So I suppose there's there's nothing too strange about having one in Ireland, is there? For in the House of Commons, for example. No, but I think it's, it's I think what happened is the Shannon changed its procedures a couple of years ago, which then raised the argument to Dahl, why do we still have this prayer? And a compromise was arrived arrived at, excuse me, that the thirty second prayer would remain, but you would have thirty seconds of reflection where everybody would stay in their feet and, you know, do what they Think whatever thoughts they want to think of was thinking about the yoga. shop on that night. Yoga, maybe. No, but it's it's kind it's kind of funny. And uh, I think it, it is the decision was that the prayer will remain, but that this thirty second period of reflection will also be there. I think the argument from Sinn Fein solidarity and others was that you know why don't we just have the reflection because you can do what you like during the reflection period. If you want to pray to your God, that's well and good. If you want to think about your shopping, that's well and good and sit down. But we have this now strange position where you're going to stand for thirty seconds. The Count Carla will lead the all in a prayer and then we'll stand for a further 30 seconds in which you'll think whatever's on your mind at the moment. It is a strange thing, like I've often said it, that we in the press gallery actually stand for the prayer which I think is very strange. We all stand up Are as you well. expected to? Yes. That we, it's, it's procedure that we all stand for the prayer. And given that in the courts these days, Harry, you're not required to swear in a Bible, you can make a you know a secular a secular affirmation. affirmation. Yeah. Should the same not be true in uh, in our parliament? Yeah, I think it's 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 on the face of it, it's it's quite a small issue, but it's it's an interesting um, issue nonetheless. And again, it goes back to the debate that's been raging yeah. in relation to the national maternity hospital, to, all, the separation of mm-hmm. of church and state. Um, yeah, my own view on it really is that the prayer is anomalous. Really, you know, um, it's it 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 
kind of harks back to 1937 and the Constitution and before that. And, you know, um, I, I think society has changed and moved on. And I, is, is I, I, still, now, I, I still like I still like the idea of the Angelus every day. I, I I would actually be loath. Maybe it's a reflection of my age, but I would be loath to see the yeah, Angelus. It's definitely a reflection of a reflection of your but age. But in terms of the legislature, I just think that that the prayer isn't really part and parcel of what they also, do. So are there potential problems? Because this is now in the standing orders of the House in the way that it wasn't previously. Am I am I right in saying that they it's been be changed, it's been passed? Yeah. And the House can do whatever it wants, can't it? So nobody could take a could, could uh, one of the members of I think Breed Smith for example, mm. was objecting to this. Could they take a, a case over this or can the House do whatever it wants? Can the House decide to pray to Jah Rastafari if it wants? And everybody standing orders are standing orders. The House, the house organises its own affairs as far as I know, if I'm aware, yeah. and it's, it's the House is a matter for itself. If you want to change them, you change standing orders through the procedures of the Iraqis. But for the sake for the sake of argument, does it preclude Breed Smith from being uh, Kian Corla or Alas Kian Corla if she's got a if she's got an ethical objection to the to the oath? Or can she be disciplined for not standing? For no, she can't, you, don't, you can't be disciplined for not standing. No, her uh, herself and Ruth Coppinger, I think, have taken a protest and, are, and have sat down um, during the, the actual prayer. I don't think there's, they're going to take any action against it. But it would be interesting if somebody like that, who felt very strongly about it, were to be appointed Count Corlea. Yeah. I think that what would happen in that instance is that they really would have to change the standing orders. They, they'd have... They'd, <laughs> well, I mean... First it, of all, we have to elect they elect the Keon Corla now yeah. so it's not just the appointment of the Taoiseach so that person will have to make their views quite clear that if I'm elected Keon Corla I'm going to change this yeah. uh, mm-hmm. procedure of the House and that would be the clear understanding that this Keon Corla would then mm. change the standing orders so perhaps it's a mandate to run off you if some, someone you know fancies it you know because his job is Keon Corla indeed um, Harry I want to touch on you, you know, over over two exciting days this week you uh, you ran your scorecard yeah. of, the, of, the, of the entire Anorak, cabinet Anorak heaven I'm yeah. not, I won't be able to go through them all the, the, the glittering array of talents which you uh, which, which you assessed um, Pascal Donoghue did well though he did I think he he, um, he, he is the minister who says no and he uh, I was making the point in the piece that he he kind of presents very softly uh, almost like marshmallow you know very uber polite uh, he kind of sprays out more thank yous than uh, Barrett than um, Barry McGuigan did to, to, to Mr Eastwood once upon a, a time but he, as one Fianna Fáiler said to me, behind it all, he's a bitter blue shirt. He's tough, he's obdurate, and he is capable of saying no. And I, and he, he do, do you suggest in your piece that he is more right-wing than people think? And I, what would that mean, actually? Well, well I think in, he'd, he'd be right-wing. I think he, in terms of his ethical disposition, he's liberal and very liberal. But I think in terms of his economics, I think he's definitely to the right. He'd be a free market person, very much in the Fine Gael, uh, mm. tradition. And he'd be... He'd be Fine Gael by um, by uh, ideological uh, ideation rather than by family tradition. He, his family had no connection with politics, so he joined Fine Gael because he made a choice that they had the right policies. And you can see it. You can see it in terms of, of all of the policies and all of the ideas he's come out with uh, since he's becoming a politician. He's an intellectual. He's a person who reads a lot. He reads a lot of um, fiction. He's very widely read. He reads every, every night. Uh, he he uh, understands politics. He understands the nature of politics and the changing nature of politics. And he's also a minister who works very hard, who is confident and in charge of his brief. Now, the one thing he hasn't really done uh, that Brendan Howland did well is that he hasn't really tackled the reform 
uh, agenda with the type of relish that Brendan Howland did. Um, so uh, maybe perhaps I should have taken an extra mark or two off him there because I was tougher oh. on his colleagues. He um, was by far the star operator in the class and Harry was looking rather lonely in the canteen yesterday with all the ministers shuffled by and oh, didn't really? say hello. They were keeping their eyes there. Harry had to check under his bread the bread of his sandwich to make sure there wasn't an unwanted ingredient there. Yeah, two ministers only got two points as hard on both of them Shane Moss had vastly improved since the last time because I gave him zero the last time but yeah. two this time uh, but I just, York rise really yeah but I just so think it reminds me I saw a tweet from Renewa on Sunday when there's a poll in the business mm. post saying 100% improvement they went from zero to 1% yeah, yeah. Yeah. their maths aren't that good actually no, 100% yeah. of zero is no, not yeah, it's, a, it's zero still it's a little bit like uh, Tony Parsons giving out about uh, yeah. Jean-Claude Juncker saying that uh, uh, if, uh, if, if he was, Britain if, wasn't there, he'd be speaking German now. Yeah. He didn't realise that German was his uh, native language. Yeah, Shane Watts, I just think it's it's a it's a, a ministry that is you know for people who have ideas, for people who uh, want to change things. It's an amazing ministry to have. Transport, sport, is not, he's not that person. He's not that person. Now, he mm. was brilliant in opposition, but I think he has really struggled mm. in government in terms of of um, pushing himself. Dennis Nocton got a very low mark as well, and I think he, he was not I mean, too it's fair pleased. To say you you are you are unimpressed by this government's performance on the environmental. Yeah, and I, and I, I think his mark was low because I just think that on climate change, which for me is a critical issue and something that the government needs to tackle and tackle now, I think that uh, Dennis Nocton um, just hasn't done enough and he's disappointed. And he's disappointed because he is actually a really bright guy. He's a policy wonk. He's a person who who understands all his briefs. But I just think that he's pulled his punches in terms of climate change. And that's why his vote, uh, in, in my estimation, was I so low. on Harry's scorecard there. I do agree with Harry's assessment of Pascal Dunhu that the reason he was put in there is because he is tough. And he was put in there by Andy Kenny because he kind of showed that uh, tough aspect of his character during the sale of Aer Lingus. He was said to be very tough behind closed doors and you'd even know he you get so far with him and then the wall goes up and that's all you get. You know, very mannerly, very courteous, but very tough and even Fianna Fallers during the budget negotiations said last year they found that with him as well. And he was put in there for that very reason because they knew that a public sector pay deal was coming down the line. They knew they needed someone who could hold the line. I think Harry's assessment of him is, is correct. All right, sticking with Fine Gael, I said we'd talk about it. We've talked about it before. God knows we'll talk about it again. <laughs> there is an expectation, Fiak, yeah, that the Taoiseach, <laughs> on his return from his visit to Canada this week, will, in the words of um, various Fine Gaelers, make his, uh, um, make his intentions <laughs> known. Um, is that expectation justified? And if it is... What form might that uh, take? I think, we, as you said, we've been here before. We could possibly be here again. But there is a sense that next week is the time at which the Taoiseach will announce his departure as Fine Gael leader and begin a election campaign to pick his success, successor. The danger is the expectation now has grown to such an extent that if he does not do so, he risks a very messy conclusion to his leadership of the party indeed that all it takes for him to walk out of that parliamentary party room next week and go, okay, I'm off to say hello to Prince Charles and I'll talk to you next week. And, and what would uh, happen if he did that? Hell would break loose, basically, that backbenchers would start mouthing off again. Their extreme pressure would come on the two leadership candidates to take him out. So I think for that reason, he does not want that to happen. So I think it's still likely, although we can't be definitive about these things ever, that it will happen. And then we would go headlong into a three-week campaign, which would begin, I'd imagine, the day after. I think Harry would 
be better place to tell you than I. But when my experience then when leaders step down, they're usually given a day for people to reflect on their career mm-hmm. and you know give them a send off. We'll, we'll do the double page yes. spread in the newspaper exactly. and all that yeah. before the dirty politicking of picking the replacement begins. So I think towards the latter half of next week will be very. And then a, a three week campaign from the 11th of May onwards or something. So it so it's done and dusted by the end of the month. There, thereabouts, possibly looking at the, the maybe the week after the June Bank Holiday weekend, and then you would. So the election would take place on the weekend after the June. Like, so that would be we don't know. Let's, let's, let's June, say let's say Sunday, June the eleventh. Um, I think if you work through the dates, let's say he steps down next week, hmm. the election, the final conclusive vote of the parliamentary party, which is the most important, let's face it, would take place. A month from next Tuesday. You know, just tell us exactly how that there because there's three there's three there's three elements. To yeah, the the, the, the parliamentary party, which is the TD senators and MEPs, have 65 percent of the vote. The councillors, of which there are about 230, have 10 percent, and the membership, of which there are an unspecified amount, we think about 10,000, 15,000 might be eligible to vote. They have 25 percent of the vote. Okay, and if it's a two horse race, obviously it's that's very, it's very straightforward yeah. as to you know whoever whoever gets fifty percent plus one. But if it's not, if it's more than a two horse race, then the yeah, your system it, comes it, into it'll play. be like a, it'll be like a, a presidential election as we've seen like so it's kind of it's 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 pr but it's it's not really pr stv i think it's more like the we basically you transfer along the line but it will stay within the block so if say for a three horse race where we have leo Varadkar, simon Coveney, and francis Fitzgerald, for example and the 65% parliamentary party vote they will transfer within their own block. Okay. So there'll so, finally be a yes. decision out of that block. Out of that and block, and the weightings for okay. that block will go towards the final. So there won't be any cross-contamination of the blocks, to put it that way. Harry, we'll have plenty <laughs> of time to consider <laughs> this, and, you know, listeners be warned, we will consider it at great length when it when it does happen. But let's... Um, if I were Enda, I wouldn't necessarily want to go into the Fine Gael parliamentary meeting, which really would look as if I'd, I'd finally... The jig is up, and I have to come in and say, that's it, okay, lads, I'm off. I might want to do it in a more, you know, ceremonial perhaps even celebratory kind of a way, standing in front of government buildings with my best suit on. Well, that's the, what... The, a nation holds its breath. Yeah, know? well, that's what Bertie... I mean, the last kind of, um, you know, dignified uh, exit that we saw was Bertie Hearn in 2008. I think Brian Cowns was kind of far more... Uh, sotto voce, as they said, but the, the, the Bertie Hearn, what he essentially did was he came down flanked by all his ministers and by a lot of the parliamentary party, he came down to the steps of government buildings. Uh, he made uh, a speech... And um, and announced that he was stepping uh, down. So um, uh, and with Enda, I'm not, I'm not quite. I mean, there is a school of thought that he he mightn't inform the parliamentary party that he might just announce it, mm. uh, then go into the doyle and then go to the parliamentary party. But he might announce it at government buildings or, or at a place of his own uh, choosing. But he has said on on a couple of occasions in stand-up interviews that he will inform his party mm. and his parliamentary colleagues. So my own guess is that I think it will probably happen mm. at a parliamentary party colleague. He did a stand-up in Brussels on Saturday. And sometimes in the past I've doubted um, the timing of Enda standing down because he has kind of managed to kind of spin it out for much longer than anybody thought he would. But he did make, it was in the question, but uh, he did make a reference to uh, Francois Hollande having his last uh, appearance at an EU summit. And I thought that was kind of significant because his reference to that kind of reflected back to him a little bit. And I think he was almost saying to me, and this is the way that I heard it is that he was kind of saying that the next if there is no if 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 I have 
I might have one more summit to go to as Taoiseach and that will probably be my last you one. You know, I mean, you know, the old cliche has it that all political careers end in failure, but that EU summit was seen as a great success for Enda Kenny mm. and for the Irish negotiating team in terms mm. of the in terms of the parameters for the Brexit negotiations. So, I mean, that from that point of view, it's a it's a good moment, isn't it? I think it is, and I think his primary uh, concern for delaying the process by a couple of months, because let's not forget that the reason he's going is because in the teeth of the McCabe controversy his party feared an election and they wanted him gone there's now enough space between that which would have been departing in failure and now mm. when he's had his successful visits to the White House behind them he has a very successful opening round of Brexit negotiations concluded with the summit on Saturday so now is the opportune time to go and if you hang around in as fallow a political period we're talking about now mm. anything could blow up in your face yeah. So I think it's probably the right it's, thing to do. It's, go. It's, a, it's a little bit like a ta- it's a little bit like Arabian Nights actually because he's just about to go and then he pulls some fantastic story from yeah. the hat. Yeah. He had the Trump speech in Washington yeah. that gave him a little bit of extra time. Uh, he could almost leverage the uh, the great win last yeah. weekend uh, with the Kenny text to give himself a couple of weeks. I think, but I, I suspect that that is time yeah, has come. I, th- I think Fiuk's um, prognosis of the timetable I, is is correct. I think what Harry says as well about him going to the parliamentary party. I think that's probably the more likely because, again, the language has always been I will inform the party and he takes his position as Taoiseach very seriously and under this arrangement he will not be resigning as Taoiseach until the middle of June. Mm-hmm. And so he be bel- clear to make the distinction that yes, this between is a, this a, a party matter. matter. Yes, a party right. matter okay. rather than a good matter. And he himself believes that he, or well his friends say that, that he said this, that he might be required to stay on for three weeks or so after a successor is chosen because someone will need to be in charge while the new person uh, speaks to the independents in Fianna Fáil right. before there's a dull vote. So, so we might have reason, a new T-shirt till the end of June? Yes. Definitely we're not going to have a new T-shirt till the middle of June anyway. So for that reason I think right. he'll, he'll view it as a party matter first and foremost. And then finally and, and time clock is ticking us a little bit here Harry but um, our lead story in the Irish Times today in relation to Brexit and the, you know, the, 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 the summit at the weekend and then the news which emerged of a uh, pretty catastrophic meeting as it sounded between Theresa May and Jean-Claude Juncker last, uh, last week that regardless of the successful negotiations by, by, by the Irish side in terms of the EU 27th position on Brexit that it could still all just go horribly wrong in a oh, way that we have no control over Well I mean Juncker told her that she was living on a different galaxy you know um, if she, was, she were to pursue the strategy that she's pursuing at, at present and if you look at the strategy document that was published by our own government last night, that had stark warnings uh, about uh, the failure of talks about no deal or about a hard Brexit. And they're trying to avoid, furiously trying to put together a strategy that will avo- avoid Ireland falling off a cliff in terms of agriculture, in terms of trade and in terms of tariffs. And if, if, if there were a hard uh, Brexit, if we were to resort back to WTO rules, if the customs union were to fall we would be in for a pretty hard uh, landing, uh, facing very punitive uh, tariffs in our trade with Britain, especially in areas like agriculture, which is very important to us. And we would have uh, huge difficulties. So the Irish government are in a, in a very difficult position in relation to where we stand because we have a very close relationship with Britain, but we're also a member of the EU27. And the strategy document makes clear that we will negotiate as part of the EU27. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant that we, we need to, to also... I'm sure the reality is 
Fiat, that this is all to do with internal British politics and which no matter what lip service is paid in the wording from Downing Street, uh, our concerns or indeed the concerns of Northern Ireland are very far down their agenda. Absolutely. I think um, that we are probably the last thing they think of. And in fairness to Enda Kenny, the fact that the sustained diplomatic campaign he led led uh, Donald Tusk to say the three issues need to be settled. Ireland was one of them. So the Europeans are putting it in the British face to say, this is important. You guys might be paying lip service to it, but to us, this is important. But I do think that domestic politics will play a big role in this. And perhaps uh, that was like the the briefing of the dinner in Downing Street last week showed the chasm between the two sides. But you have to take it that that was a one-sided briefing from Junkers and his officials. There is obviously truth to it because it wasn't denied by Downing Street. But Downing Street, of course given the fact that the Conservatives are in the throes of a general election campaign, we're more than happy to revel in this as those Eurocrats bashing our leader over the head, blah, 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 blah. So you would hope as time progresses, maybe more sober thought and analysis will enter the situation so because that, at the moment where it's, it's still very raw. Yeah. Like, let's hope when this gets bogged down in the mundane detail of trade negotiations that perhaps common sense will prevail. Harry? Yes, um, and that's the the hope. Um, but the, the process is going to take a long time. I think the um, Michel Barnier will be outlining his strategy later on today, and I think he's saying that he wants everything concluded by October 2018. I think the actual official uh, exit by Britain from the EU will happen in early 2019. So there's uh, 18 months of very sustained and intensive negotiations to take place between now and then, then, but it does, I mean, it's very evident that the European Union has got all its ducks in a row, mm. has a very formidable negotiating team in place and has been thinking about this for months. Uh, as, as Unlike the British. Unlike the British, which this, this is just... And a lot of woolly thinking has characterised the British yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, it's all populist stuff and it's kind of just, it's... it's, it's um, the, 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 to, Tory party asserting its own kind of uh, dominance str- without any kind of thinking behind, about the consequences of what's going to happen. The one striking thing about the leak over the weekend was the fact that there seemed to be little by way of, um, you know, if this approach fails, then we go to that, that approach. And Theresa May was almost stunned when Jean Claude Juncker said, Well, what you did as Home Secretary, you, you went for a Justice Home Affairs opt out. It's completely different to this. That was a kind of a small aspect of the Lisbon Treaty. This is full blooded membership that you were withdrawing from. Mm. So I think the fact that their assumptions are suddenly meeting the reality that Brussels is imposing on it because up to now they've been talking to themselves. Now they have to get real. Yeah, she told him that she wouldn't pay, that Britain mightn't pay the money, and he said, "Well, uh, he said you have to pay the money." And then she said, "Oh, we'll take we'll, we'll, when we withdraw from the ECJ, we won't have to." And then he said, "Well, then we won't have a trade deal." Mm. You know, and it was really uh, mad stuff between yeah, both of them. Mutual incomprehension. Uh, Patley, he insurance. actually described yeah. it as the, the worst ever dinner party this morning in his analysis piece. <laughs> I think he wasn't too far off. Yeah, I don't know. I've been on a few bad ones myself. Listen, anyway, listen, thanks very much, Harry and Fiuk, for joining us. Uh, we'll talk again soon. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks very much to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember, you can mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com. And I always do appreciate your emails. Got a few interesting ones this week. Or you can find me on Twitter at hlinehan. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.